Hi, everyone, and welcome to Cohen Esri's Apartment Investing Podcast. My name is Lydia Kincaid, and I am joined by Ryan Huffman and Lee Harris, two executives in our company. We're going to talk today um, about the historical progress and the historical changes that have happened with our apartment acquisition program. So we'll start off with Lee. Lee, if you could share with us maybe a couple of earlier deals that we did um, through CEAI and, and how those ended up. Sure, Lydia. The uh, early to mid-1970s was really the advent of our apartment acquisition uh, program. And it really wasn't a program at the time. We were doing a lot of receivership work as a company uh, on behalf of uh, various lending institutions. And uh, in a number of cases, we were able to acquire those assets that we'd been managing for the banks, savings and loan associations, mortgage, real estate investment trusts, insurance companies, et cetera. Uh, And we had a real advantage there because we knew the properties intimately having managed them in some instances for, for several years. Uh, and that was back in the day. This was uh, something that's probably quite foreign to uh, folks today. But back then, you could actually borrow 110% of the property value, which meant we didn't have to put any money in. So uh, an ideal way to, to, to build wealth. <clears throat> uh, in some situations uh, where we were acquiring properties that were not uh, part of a receivership uh, situation. Uh, We put a small partnership uh, together with some business friends that we knew quite well, uh, and that allowed us to make acquisitions. And most of the properties we were acquiring were in the Kansas City Metro. Uh, There was an acquisition in Topeka, Kansas, and another in Joplin, Missouri, that was actually part of a a new construction. Uh, The Properties that we were buying in Kansas City were rather large in some cases, uh, 300 units, uh, 207 units, uh, 150 units. Uh, and we, we built a nice portfolio over the years of a few thousands of units. Um, and then in the early to mid 1990s, uh, we became involved in the more traditional syndication game that was driven at the time by tax losses. So we structured several deals where uh, the LP investment uh, saw three to four times that investment amount in the way of tax losses. Uh, That was, that was the way it was done back then. Uh, One deal in particular, and it's a 213 unit project, three high rise buildings on the country club plaza called Dunleith Towers uh, and EF Hutton, which was a large, a national brokerage uh, firm at the time uh, actually was the syndicator for that uh, project. And we were delivering, if I remember correctly, three and a half times uh, uh, the, the investment of an investor put in $10,000, uh, he might get $35,000 in losses. And that was uh, emblematic, I think, of the type of, of uh, transactions we were doing then. Uh, then that world came to an end, so to speak, with the Tax Reform Act of 1986, and it, it ended the tax syndication business. And really what happened there was uh, it, it removed the ability to use losses against passive income. Uh, a little technical, but uh, that really put the, the brakes on 
the tax syndication business for apartment investing and really turned the industry on its head. Uh, and it also caused the, the meltdown of the savings and loan association business back in the late 1980s. Uh, and <clears throat> there were some unintended consequences of that Tax Reform Act of 1986. And so we went for many years after that, not acquiring apartments. We held a number of the assets that we had acquired early on, uh, and they, they provided some nice cash flow, um, yeah, but uh, it just wasn't in the cards to be making acquisitions for a number of years. However, uh, that Tax Reform Act of 1986 also produced what is called the Low Income Housing Tax Credit, and it uh, is a vehicle for the production of affordable housing. And uh, in 1994, we formed uh, what is now the Cone Azure Development Group to develop affordable properties uh, across the Midwest and eventually across the country. And that particular program was a 15 and still is a 15 year program. Uh, and we thought, okay, we can develop some affordable housing in various markets, uh, hold it for 15 years, convert it to market rate. And uh, there, there'd be an opportunity to, to make it more of a moderate income type of play. Uh, and again, create some, some value. Uh, and so we did that. And uh, uh, that business started, as I said, in 1994 and in 1996 and 1997, the first projects came out of the ground and uh, we've been developing ever since. Uh, we also were able in the early 2000s through some relationships we developed uh, to uh, uh, be named as the replacement general partner in some existing partnerships. Again, knowing that eventually in the within that 15-year time frame, we would be able to convert those properties to market rate and, uh, and and either sell them or continue to operate them on a market rate basis. So that kind of brings us to uh, that was that's the pre-version 1.0 explanation of, of the history. Uh, of, of, of our apartment acquisition business. All right. Thanks, Lee. You know, I think your historical perspective is really helpful because it lays the groundwork for where we are today. But even before where we are today, there's still more to be said and more lessons that we learned and more maybe policies that were implemented nationally that we had to adjust because of. So, Brian, can you maybe take us into the next stage of Cohen Esri? Yeah, so that's what we lovingly call version 1.0. And I think, Lee, as we got into this, we started the discussion of uh, that a lot of firms do of we wanted to control our own destiny, right? We wanted to have a portfolio that, you know, we controlled, that we underwrote, that, you know, we managed and in a way, you know, start to build that internal wealth as most investors are, are trying to do. And we did that by starting version 1.0. And What's interesting is we look back today and we, we say right now we started to get more sophisticated. But even if you look at our version 1.0, we probably aren't as sophisticated even as we are today. So it was an interesting foray. But our version 1.0 started with a couple of, of true off-market transactions. Um, 
And I, I say true off market because in today's world, you hear this off market a lot and a, and a lot of folks want off market, but a true off market comes from a relationship you have, not from a broker that's approached you or they're claiming it's off market. Cause I guarantee you if a broker's got it, it, it ain't off market, right? It's just not. And these two came from a relationship Lee, you had had longstanding um, with a group and we were able to acquire these two properties. I'll tell you a little bit about them. So, you know, Hamden Hall Apartments um, is in St. Louis. It's in the Central West End. What we liked about this particular property, it was smaller. Um, I think it was 76 units, if I'm not remembering correctly. And it had just rolled out of the tax credit program and was in decontrol. And location is everything. And what we first liked about this was it's in the central West end, which is the, the vibrant hot market right near WashU. Um, here we have a property that's a historic building, great unique units with charm that we could take and, and do something with that property um, and actually make it, make it something that is a market rate community. Um, it had great bones, you know, not a lot of amenities in the building, but we didn't need that. It had controlled access. It had a garage. Um, all the floor plans were unique in nature. And we did this first transaction and look, our first transaction was a total of $4.8 million for this property. So um, it, it was a good foray. And simultaneously to that, we closed a property in Louisville, Kentucky, called uh, Hampton Place. Now, Hampton Place was a little bit larger. It was 150 units. But the unique play to Hampton Place was it was a hybrid deal. Now, for those of you who don't know what a hybrid deal is, it had partial market and partial tax credit restriction. So we had the best of both worlds, and it was a townhome community product. So think of row homes a little bit in, in an area of Louisville where the growth was coming right toward you. We underwrote it very conservative um, in the way that we did it. We underwrote 88% occupancy. We put a lot of margins of safety in these transactions, in those original models. And they were great investments. But both assets performed incredibly well. I mean, Hampton Place, Lee, I think what we were running 95 plus percent occupied the whole time we owned it. Right. Um, beating projections by multiples on the operation side. And, and ultimately, when those two deals sold, they generated healthy returns for both the investors. I mean, Lee, do you remember what those returns were back then? We bought these back in 2010-11. So. Yeah, the, the, I think these returns were in excess of 30% uh, yeah. annualized. And so they were, they were a great foray into us really analyzing the investment. And, and we didn't even have the level of criteria we're going to talk about here in the next couple of episodes when we get into version two we really looked for the uniqueness of the property. And you can see with each story, there's an element of unique. They weren't the same. They weren't in the same locations. They didn't have the same strategy. Um, but there was enough of a story there that was compelling by either location or vintage mix that made us go, oh, these are a good foray into our what we call our version one of, of our ownership. And look, it started the the ball rolling and and great investments, and that those were the first couple that we did in in version one of of our history. Yeah, thanks, Ryan. I think I mean that just goes to show from all the stories both of you told. Like you have to start somewhere, right? And you have to be disciplined about that. But there's probably going to be some some bumps along the way, and and where we are today in 2021, and there's really a product of all those past 
lessons and where we started and, and we're really in scale mode now, um, but we are going to get more into those details at a future episode. Um, but for today, Ryan or Lee, is there anything else you'd like to add before we leave? For yeah, today? I, 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 Lydia, I think I'd like to, to make another point. In addition to those first two assets uh, in 1.0, uh, we, we were able to acquire some additional properties along the way that we had been managing. Uh, in several cases, they were affordable housing tax credit deals that were uh, in, in, a, in a few cases, we were the replacement general partner. In other cases, we were strictly managing. But in all cases, we had familiarity with the assets. And it's kind of similar to the way we got started back in the 70s with the receiverships where we had been managing properties and we knew the assets and, and were able to take advantage of, of that knowledge. Same thing here with version 1.0 many of the assets in the early days of, of 1.0 we had been managing and and were able to take advantage of the uh, of the familiarity the intimate uh, familiarity with those assets uh, and that's a little different than uh, than version 2.0 which we'll get into later but i think that that's a, a, a data point that's worth mentioning and lee you bring up a great point and lydia you too and i'll piggyback on this i mean for anybody that's watching you know, that is managing or looking to get into this, pay attention to your to your clients and, and what their strategy is and what their position is. Because those few assets that Lee mentioned, which are Idlewild Creek and Blairville um, in New York, we had been managing for the client for 10 years and we knew they were eventually going to dispose of the assets. So part of what we were looking at was, can, is there something we can do with these under an ownership? Is there something that we can help our client and and ultimately get an investment ourselves, and it worked out well. But but in my comment about true off market, that's that's really the relationship you're looking for is the win win for both parties, and it's an easy way to get started um, when you're familiar with the property and you've got a client that you're helping in the meantime. And I think that's important when you're looking at at just starting out. Yeah, I think I think those are both great points that you each made. Um, and Ryan, speaking of relationships and having opportunities that are off market, I mean, those relationships really aren't built overnight. They're built over decades and years. And so again, I would say to anybody who's looking to get started, don't wait to start those relationships. Those, those take a long time to really cultivate and grow. And that can be really critical um, for your future. So thank you both Ryan and Lee for your time. Thanks everyone for listening. And we will be back in a few more weeks with more content.